Vibrational Medicine is a podcast to bring awareness to the various natural wellness practices and treatments available. I am your host, Ash Neumeister, and these conversations are born out of my curiosity to learn more about the technologies available to us to stay in our optimal, vital, healthy, and natural state for our entire life, regardless of aging and all of the challenges of living in our modern day world. We will discuss topics covering how to stay healthy in mind, body, and spirit. Let's take a moment for one deep breath and then enjoy the conversation. On today's episode of Vibrational Medicine, I got to sit down and have a conversation with my dear friend, Tony Moss. He is a recording artist and has recently released an album with a collection of artists called Birds in Paradise that I highly recommend. And he also is the creator of a nonprofit that I am involved in called I Am Life. And we produce events that are focused on interconnectivity. This organization began because of Tony's realization that there was a complete lack of places for people to come and connect to connect with themselves and with the community and to learn about these various ancient technologies that have been passed down through the ages. So we have events in Los Angeles that usually involve live music and cacao ceremonies and our tea house. And then in addition to that, Tony has been in deep study and a facilitation of ceremonies involving plant medicines. And he often talks about being in right relationship with Mother Earth and with plants and is an advocate for the legalization and responsible use of these medicines. So we dive a little bit into the importance of community, of ceremony, of ritual, and how we really don't have much of that in Western culture in Western culture. So it's important for us to create those spaces. And we also talk about vibrational medicine and why that is such an important piece of our overall health and wellness. So please enjoy the conversation and let us know what you think. All right. So today we are speaking with Tony Moss, which I am incredibly, incredibly excited to have you be a part of this podcast. And You've been such an important person in my life over the last few years, and so I'm super excited to have this particular conversation with you because it's, I feel, aligned with both of our passions <laughs> in a lot of ways. So yeah, really excited to just see where this conversation goes and keep it kind of informal, but um, share on several topics that we checked in about before this recording. And yeah, I'd love for you to start actually just by sharing with our listeners, you know, anything that you feel that you're currently up to or want to share about, you know, what's going on in the world that has to relate to the importance of people really taking responsibility for their own health and wellness and using these, you know, new natural ways of healing and exploring other ways of being together. That's beautiful. Well, as you mentioned, yeah, it's a topic that uh, is close to my heart and, uh, both of us, and particularly through our work with I'm Life, our nonprofit. Um, yeah, I'll start by talking a little bit about that. You know, one of the reasons I'm Life got founded was I started to realize probably the year or so before the organization was actually kind of officiated, um, I was 
noticing more and more people feeling really um, apathetic about the state of the world and also just really disconnected. Um, not only disconnected like from other people, but this sense of disconnection from, from nature, from the planet, from the cosmos, from spirituality. And during that period, I was hosting some salons at my house. Um, I was living in Long Beach at the time. And it was just a weekly gathering um, where we would get together and kind of just take on a topic, you know, either maybe a spiritual topic or, you know, some current affair or something in the news. And I started realizing really the value of the difference it made in people's lives right away that they at least had once a week this group that they were connecting with. Yeah. And those yeah. gatherings started to become kind of ceremonial in the sense that they kind of had an official opening. You know, we'd have like some music and maybe we'd set an intention with the topic for the night. And during that period, I started researching ceremony in general. And uh, this one book, um, I don't remember what it was called. It had to do with uh, kind of the history of ceremony and what it was. And I learned a lot of things. One was that that's where theater started, you know. Um, yeah, theater was basically ritualized um, ceremony and mainly as a way of sharing uh, the cosmologies and values and stories. Like they would act out and theatrically um, kind of share the values of the community or for passing those stories because most of those cultures were, you know, oratory at the time. And out of that theater was born. Oh, right? wow. so really, yeah. So there's always a theatrical element to ceremony, which there is because it's ritualistic and it has order. And for it to have impact, it probably is going to have some kind of theatrical element, you know, totally. inside of what we do. Mm -hmm. but more importantly, the real core of ceremony, you know, relative to our discussion is it was in ceremony that our ancestors passed on the cosmology and the values of the culture, right? It was in ceremony that young people were ushered into and initiated into their roles in the community. Um, again, the cosmology, the spiritual beliefs, um, it kind of also marked their growth within the community, you know, different types of ceremony, as you know, like rites of passage, initiation. And I started realizing, and later read a lot of people were thinking the same thing, you know, that one of the problems with modern Western culture is that we lack ceremony, significant, mm -hmm. authentic ceremony. And particularly rites of passages and initiations where people get acknowledged for the different phases uh, of their life, particularly young people, you know, right. where the entire village or community is saying, you know, like, we now acknowledge that you were in this particular phase, right? And because mm -hmm. of that, it has this new set of um, maybe not only benefits, but uh, responsibilities and expectations. And those are important, you know? Totally. And, yeah, the example we've used, you know, even in our life conversations, um, where we really see the lack of that is in young men going through puberty, you know, testosterone is coming on, and they're looking for a place to not only be acknowledged that they're in this new phase of their life, but they want something to do with it. Well, indigenous cultures, I was acknowledged, and there'd be rites of passages. Without mm -hmm. that, we have, you know, things like young men joining gangs. They're doing it for right. the exact same reason, yeah. They're being acknowledged that they have power. They're being acknowledged that they're independent. Mm -hmm. They're um, being given a place for that energy to show up, basically, mm -hmm. in a destructive way, but mm -hmm. still like, okay, this group is acknowledging who I am, right? 
yeah. and that I now I'm in this new phase of my life. So long story short, I started realizing like, wow, ceremony is actually really valuable to, for cohesion for a community. Yeah. 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 And also, again, a place where you can be with other people and kind of step outside of the, the pressures of our normal day-to-day lives in the matrix, <laughs> the default reality, mm-hmm. and kind of actually have a place to just um, explore spirit, explore yourself. Right. And to get into more deeper intimate issues that actually really important that in normal Western culture get sidepassed. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. I feel like there isn't a lot of access to them, you know, let alone even talked about in our Western culture. You know, like I grew Mm -hmm. up in the Midwest and I don't know if we really had any sort of access to, well, maybe we did. I just didn't know about it as far as like indigenous rituals and cultures and people that are from that area, which there's so many, you know, Native Americans that are from Minnesota, but I just didn't even know to look for it when I was younger. But then even in the Western culture, it's like, what, what did we have? You know, I'm trying to think of any examples of, of like becoming into like womanhood. It's like, even when we would start menstruating or getting our cycle, like it was like this, like, scary thing not talked about thing you didn't go through any sort of like ceremony or anything like so yeah yeah, you don't you don't talk about it in school you don't even talk about it with your girlfriends necessarily yeah no suddenly you're menstruating you know yeah yeah Yeah, it's the same thing for sexuality with young boys you know it's Mm -hmm. like suddenly you're in puberty you're able to masturbate right Mm -hmm. basically these changes are happening that aren't being acknowledged I'm certainly there are some really awesome progressive families, right? Yeah. But in general, like with me, you know, there is no kind of official acknowledgement of my sexuality in puberty mm-hmm. care. If anything, there was a shame around it. It's like when your parents suddenly discovered that you're sexually active or at least capable, yeah. suddenly it's like, here's this taboo thing. We know it's happening, but we're not going to talk about it. Exactly. Right? So, yeah. And that's why I feel like I've quoted often as saying, you know, I think a lot of the pathologies running through Western culture um, stem from two things. One, it's this taboo and suppression mm-hmm. of uh, sexuality, like in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And the other is, again, this uh, lack of acknowledgement of the rights of passages, the initiations from mm-hmm. the different phases from childhood into, you know, teenage years, puberty, then when you're kind of expected to be an adult. Instead, we have this very empty ritual of graduation you know, right. and what do they do when you graduate? Okay, you can legally now drive and get drunk. <laughs> Not yeah. Common, right? And um, you can vote, right? Yet there's been no necessarily um, valuable preparation right. for voting or drinking or driving. <laughs> yeah. Or I yeah. guess marriage maybe would be something that's a you know, ceremony that a lot of people maybe don't even think of necessarily as a rite of passage, but that is something yeah. that we collectively acknowledge as a ceremony in Western culture. But um, other than that, there isn't really a whole lot. Maybe in some religions, obviously, you know, like confirmation and things like that. But, right. um, but yeah, as a, a way of coming together to really initiate something new or a new phase of life or um or even just like you were saying like a coming together to create that space for people to feel safe to explore who they are and to really deepen in their connection with themselves and with spirit in a way that everyone collectively is on the same page yeah 
And you I know, feel, I was just, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I feel like that's what we, we do with our I am life events, you know, is like really bringing that clear intention, you know, that we're coming together yeah. for a common intention, you know, of expanding love or whatever it is at that particular event and yeah. giving people that opportunity to have their own solo journey, you know, within the celebration culture that we create with the music yeah. and the tea and the cacao ceremony and all the other elements that we bring in. But at the same time, they're in a community where they feel safe and like-minded and yeah. even inspired by each other. And it's, that was one of the most, I mean, I guess it was expected, but not expected at the same time, like how impactful that was for people to come to our events because of the complete lack. I completely agree. You know, when we started doing the soul circles with I Am Life, um, it quickly surpassed even my expectations. And I realized later the reason why was I've been in a community, you know, like 20 years now of people that get together and do these things. And they're right. second nature to me. And they've absolutely shaped and had a huge impact on who I am. I didn't realize how lacking it was, even in California, you know, it was considered mm -hmm. this like state, right? Until we started doing them. And people, as you know, would give us comments like, you know, oh, I've been looking for this, or I finally found my tribe, or, mm -hmm. you know, for some people even, it's a life transforming event to totally. be in a really open, non-woo-woo kind of setting where we're openly talking about the science of, like you said, vibrational medicine, the mm -hmm. actual um, facts and science around the heart and love, you know, and how that interacts with other people in the world. And yeah, and to be able to kind of openly be a person who is questioning reality or looking for an authentic kind of pathway to spirit Mm -hmm. You know, to explore things that they've seen or heard other people talking about, and now they're in a community of people that do it on a regular basis and they have access. Like, it's actually had a huge impact. Right? Mm -hmm. And it has definitely forged a community, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the biggest reward for me with I Am Life has been how many people have used this exact phrase independently. It says, oh, I've been looking for this. I feel like I finally found my tribe. I'm like, yes, you have. We've been waiting totally. for you. yes. <laughs> to exactly. show up, basically. Yes. Yeah. And it's so nourishing for all of us too, even as we're facilitating it just to be in that, in that energy. And I, I love how we always talk about it, such a recharge, you know, and then what is created from that consistently getting together in that way is that we can continue to go out in the world and do everything that we're up to. And, and you also, you know, you, like you're saying, you're opening openly questioning reality. It's like that, naturally happens when you're in these kind of yeah. environments on a consistent basis and so you actually then evolve into wanting to try to make a difference you know and really have an impact yeah. it's true you know there, there's a impulse early on with i'm life um because we have this platform available that we can like present these awesome things we're interested in to people there's always this uh impulse to want to uh do it really big and a lot of it, right? Yeah. And what I realized is the Soul Circle events are introductions into these different worlds. You know, like you're getting like a 15-minute sound bath in the beginning and you're getting the taste of the cacao ceremony. And then we might be dropping in some indigenous voices and wisdom here and there. 
you know, and what happens actually is that it opens up these possibilities to people so that they later can contact you and say, I want to come to a full sound bath, or mm -hmm. I actually want to study, you know, Native American or indigenous ceremony, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I saw it as, I feel like our events, in addition to them being authentic community ceremonies, right, and offering all the same things that traditional indigenous ceremonies offer. Um, at the same time, I considered the events like bridges, right? Where we're bridging contemporary Western culture, certainly at least in our um, state, our community, um, into these other modalities and possibilities of exploration for people, right? Mm -hmm. And that's really valuable, right? Mm -hmm. And this term you've heard me use before, like I love demystifying things, like, mm -hmm. like um, taking things like vibrational medicine, for instance, I can hear somebody, you know, hearing that term and thinking like, oh my God, vibrational medicine, how woo-woo is that? Mm -hmm. well, what we actually do is break down and go, well, this is what it is. This is the science and research behind why it works. And this is actually why it's called vibrational medicine, right? Mm -hmm. Or why, you know, um, for instance, like with the work we do with the Institute of Heart Math, you know, actually talking about the research and the science around the electromagnetic real uh, field around the body, which... I think spiritual people call the aura. We know it's an actual thing, right? Mm -hmm. That is an, um, emanated from the heart. That is vibrational, right? And that, that those fields that each of us have around us is like a Taurus are actually in communication all the time. Like when you meet a person, your field of energy is already communicating with that person, right? Right. So that's not some airy-fairy woo-woo kind of whatever. That's actually a science that's being researched. Mm -hmm. And the hypothesis is that those fields are probably actually in communication with the planetary electromagnetic field, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so I love this idea of vibrational medicine. When you look at it, even in terms of like the placebo effect, mm -hmm. you know, epigenetics, all those things come into play when you're in the world of vibrational medicine, mm -hmm. which I, I would love to hear your definition of that, but I tend to think of it as um, just subtle medicine, right? Medicine mm -hmm. and modalities that work on a subtle vibrational level that on ways we don't fully understand have to be at work. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't really have a foundational understanding for things like epigenetics or, you know, placebo effect healing, you know? Yeah. 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 I tend to, I was watching this, there's this new special uh, on Netflix. I'm forgetting what it's called, but it's this guy who basically kind of debunks all of the, everything from supplements to spiritual healing techniques, right? And he's not doing it in a way of all of this stuff is bullshit. Mm -hmm. But they very uh, fairly look at it. And then all these other researchers and people are going like, you know, okay, that's total bullshit. There's, there's no evidence that this thing works. But they do say in almost every, every episode. However, if you go to a Reiki practitioner and they do their thing on you and you get healed from whatever, that's still medicine and it's still working. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So the fact that we don't fully understand how it's working or there's no scientific basis for it working doesn't mean that it's not valid mm -hmm. as a reality. But the very fact that I think if I'm coming to a sound healing that it's going to help me release some trauma and it does, then bingo. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, one of my other teachers that I interviewed in one of the other podcasts, Wayne Perry, he always talks about the fact with, particularly with sound healing, when you go to a sound bath, 
you know, you're receiving these relaxing regenerative sounds. They're not necessarily healing, but it's put, you can't like discount yourself for the one that's doing the actual healing. Like you have to be open to it. You have to be allowed to, you know, just be in that state of relaxation to actually fully be able to receive those sounds. And so it's, it is on a subtle level, you know, it's, and it's different for every single person, but yeah, to, to, it's almost like giving your power away, you know, when you say something else is doing something to you. And so even if like, if you go to a Reiki session and you're coming at it with like total like skepticism and this isn't going to work and that whole mentality, you're creating that experience. Yeah, Exactly. exactly. And so, but if you're very open and you're in a place where you're, you are even just curious or ready to receive something like that, it can be incredibly powerful. And so it's Absolutely. such on a subtle yeah, level. Just, yeah, I agree. Just the, the willingness, you know, mm-hmm. to suspend your either disbelief or skepticism. And just, well, you know, there's certainly no harm in being open to the possibility that it could heal me. Mm-hmm. You know, that can shift everything, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, while you were talking to Sin, I was remembering – yeah, I have this little like ball spot, you know, at 54, mm-hmm. and uh, which doesn't bother me at all. But uh, a friend of mine, like a couple of years back, gave me this uh, oil as a gift, and it had like hair restoration, whatever, mm-hmm. you know. And I was kind of like, first of all, I'm like, what are you trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't need that. <laughs> and then, you know, I remember I, I, I asked her, I said, well, I said, you know, I've been looking at this and most of the things that claim to restore hair don't, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know why you would think this oil would. And it was interesting. She said, well, you have to believe it will. Mm-hmm. And I originally just kind of like rolled my eyes at that and like, oh my gosh, you know. Mm-hmm. But then later I was thinking about that and like, well, actually what she said is true. Not literally like, well, if I believe this will grow my hair, it will. Mm-hmm. She was actually speaking this language that um, is in a lot of ways at the core of what we're talking about, about how how vibrational medicine can work. Some of it literally physically is working. So much has to do with your willingness, right, to be Mm -hmm. open to the possibility. And again, um, what we're calling the placebo effect. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought, you know, no, I'm not willing to put this oil on my scalp and think, okay, I believe this will grow my hair, right? Right. But at the same time, I felt like she was speaking a fundamental truth. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe had she given me that and I immediately said like, well, this is fantastic. I'm going to use it every day. Had I had, if I were somebody that had a, like, fundamental, enthusiastic response and believed mm-hmm. that this would work, I'd be willing to bet that there probably would have been some hair growth at this point. Yeah, right? for yeah. sure. So basically, I realized, in basically, she was, in making that statement, she was kind of highlighting something we're talking about, that there's this interactive thing with all healing, particularly with vibrational healing, mm-hmm. you know? that it wasn't me just slapping this Western scientific thing on my scalp. It was actually a relationship I was entering with the intention to grow hair mm-hmm. and my willingness to uh, kind of support the possibility that whatever was in this you know, little oil thing could actually work. Right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and for people that are listening to this that are maybe just beginning to become curious about alternate forms of healing or... Um, you know, outside of Western medicine, just know that, you know, you can look in history and there was a, I was listening to a podcast yesterday about this actually, where he was going back and talking about different situations where 
Western medicine like was basically like an all out war on all other kinds of medicine that was exactly. saying they were, um, you know, witchcraft or um, just saying that none of them worked. And so it totally changed our mentality to think like things like aromatherapy and acupuncture, even chiropractic care, yeah. um, you know, eating healthy. Well, even, uh, things. Yeah. Ancient passed down through lineage, herbal remedies. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all, you're right, all got poo-pooed and yeah. woo-wooed, right? And now <laughs> what we're seeing on Facebook and everywhere in social media is the resurgence of those things with modern yeah. science. Guess what? This does work. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and so uh, now, fortunately, there is studies that are being done and things that are coming out to support, like the Institute of Heart Math and all these things that are really um, helping to bring the science into proving it again because it comes back to what you're saying, like, okay, it's proven. So now I can believe it, you know, whereas before we're saying you have to have the belief without the proof often in these alternate forms of healing, you know, like working with crystals or aromatherapy and all these things. You're right. People aren't empowered. Western medicine is like, there's something wrong with me. Please fix it. Like I'm Mm -hmm. empowering the doctor or the medication, which Mm -hmm. most of them don't work for most people or all people. And Mm -hmm. then Tons of toxic side effects, the whole story. We were speaking to the choir on that subject. Yet here we have these ancient, you know, healing modalities, techniques, remedies that are proven to work for a lot of times for a larger percentage of the population with almost no side effects. Right. You know? So all of that was robbed from us during that period you're talking about, when literally driven by um, profit and control, you know. Yeah that there were, as we know, systematic um, campaigns designed to denigrate these healing modalities so that we could switch people over to taking cough syrup instead, right? Right. Which which we know most of them don't do any better than elderberry or honey and pepper, Mm -hmm. right? They're not not more effective. They're just more expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And often have side effects. (laughs) And bad side effects, right. If you're taking plants or natural things, they're going to have good side effects. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting how that happened. And so it's, and just acknowledging also that, you know, we're programmed to think a lot of things that we do. And so this podcast is about getting people to really question things around health and wellness and what we can be doing on a, in a natural way to be preventative, right? Because Western medicine is very good for acute, like emergency care, you know, but as far as actually staying in your vital, healthy state, it's important for us to be incorporating a lot of these vibrational medicines into staying healthy and, uh, and preventing it from getting, you know, to a point where we might need to go to, to the ER or whatever. And so yeah. just knowing that it is, it is important to, especially in this modern day and age, you know, where we're exposed to a lot of things that we weren't, let's say that even just one generation ago, you know, with the, what's going on with our food supply and the air quality and all these things that, uh-huh we really do have to support our health in a more, in a bigger way than we would have, let's say, like even my parents' age. You know, I love that you said that because uh, something I share, you know, often is this idea that in no way am I discounting or trying to undermine the benefits of Western medicine. It's it's miraculous what Mm -hmm. Western medicine has to be. And for acute things, absolutely. To repair damage that has actually been done, Western medicine, right? Mm-hmm. To get diagnosed, Western medicine, amazing. Mm-hmm. The problem is, you know, my approach, I was just sharing this with a friend, is if you think something's wrong, 
get a diagnosis for sure from a Western you know, doctor, mm-hmm. find out and um, pinpoint what's going wrong with you. But then look at all the possibilities for the healing, right? Yeah. You don't just automatically take a prescription. It's like, oh, well, you have acute, whatever it is, meningitis, who knows? And then you go look on the internet or check with the alternative methods and go, what are all the ways people are healing this? Because oftentimes you'll find out that, oh, I can just take turmeric. Right? I don't right. need to be hooked on a $60 bottle of pharmaceutical for the next six months mm-hmm. right? that has lots of side effects and may not actually work for me specifically. Mm-hmm. Yet I can get the same effects from taking turmeric you know, with no side effects and probably you know, a fraction of the cost. You know? Yeah. But I think it's really valuable. Yeah. Totally. And, and- like you said, I think the most important thing, I'm sorry to cut you off, the vibrational medicine or the alternative healing methods Western medicine is not for preservation of health, right? It is not an approach to health. It is an approach to fixing things that have gone wrong. Right? Mm-hmm. The vibrational um, approaches are about maintaining health. It's about maintaining health and balance so you don't get sick in the first place. And that's their role, I think, where they're most important. Right? Yeah, and should always be used in conjunction with Western medicine, too. Yeah. And as an ongoing way to deal with the subtle things before they become problems, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, the perfect example, of course, I would say like a sound bath or things like that. We know that a lot of um, dramatically, you know, dangerous diseases have their start in stress and trauma, you know? Yeah. You know? So why not be doing something because we all live in an environment in the West where we're exposed to stress, you know, and tension mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Having a monthly practice or so of, you know, doing yoga and going to a sound bath, you know, mm-hmm. and engaging some of the other kind of more subtle health, uh, I think, I think preservation and maintenance techniques could mm-hmm. probably keep you from down the line developing something that needs a more serious mm-hmm. approach. Oh, completely. Yeah, I really do believe wholeheartedly that every single person on this planet <laughs> needs something that helps them with stress relief. I mean, it's just part of being oh, yeah, human, yeah. you know, and really seeing that as an essential thing though, you know, and not something that you do even when you're waiting until you're ha- about to have an anxiety attack or you, you know, so many people suffer from chronic anxiety attacks and to really yeah. see that you can prevent them. Yeah. Know, Over the years practice. working with, with plant medicines, the most common reason that people eventually decide they want to do something like ayahuasca, for an example, is because they've tried everything else and nothing is helping them with their anxiety, depression, and mm-hmm. PTSD, that they isn't even diagnosed, but they realize at some point, oh, this is all related to that traumatic experience that I had, right? Yeah. Um, and again, going back to the importance of ceremony, you know, indigenous cultures recognize, you know, they're living in these intense survivals early on, let's uh, survival in terms of the environment and other tribes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they recognized there needed to be rituals and ceremonies where people could come and basically grieve, right? Mm-hmm. And the other was to kind of uh, go to the edge of their psyche and let it all out, right? So there, yeah. some of the rituals were just like, you know, there was one I remember reading about in this um, book, uh, Wizard of the Upper Amazon, where they made a form of basically kind of like beer, right? But as a sacrament. Mm-hmm. And this once or twice a year ritual, um, they would get together, they would all drink, the whole village would basically get drunk on this sacrament. But the shaman, the village leader, 
would use that as an opportunity to bring up all the grievances. Like, okay, I know you two have been having tension over this woman, so go ahead and fight it out. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Or they can yell and scream or become intoxicated and kind of go crazy in the context of a ceremony, basically kind of purifying their psyche of all these neurotic thoughts and tension that had built up throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Right? So they recognized this was important because it was like, um, you know, relieving the pressure cooker, you know, like letting all yeah. the tension. So again, you know, that was a way of keeping the entire village or community healthy. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, we don't have that in Western culture. Mm-hmm. Most of us have the experience of people saying to you as a platitude, oh, how are you doing? But then they keep walking, right? They don't ask yeah. you. I right? notice that all the time. Yeah. It's like, yeah. why ask? <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. how much yeah. I just automatically say good. Exactly. Like, How's it going? Good. Great. Yeah. yeah. So I picture, imagine though that you are somebody who is experiencing either social anxiety or social isolation, like you're feeling lonely, or maybe there's grief happening in your life and you don't have a safe place or close enough relationships to actually express to people what's going on with you. Yet people are asking and not really listening. Mm -hmm. Eventually that becomes um, intensified, leads to depression, eventually it's suicidal because this I think that isolation is like a downward spiral, you know, the more isolated you are, the more isolated you become. Mm -hmm. Typically, the more depressed you are, the more depressed you become, the more anxious you are, right? Um, So having a place, again, a ceremonial space, whether it's going to yoga, to sound bath, coming to the events like our soul circle, is giving people a place to actually go and you know on that night you're going to be connecting with other human beings. Mm -hmm. And you know that if someone asks how you are, chances are you can actually tell them. Right. That's the importance, I think, of these beyond the benefits of, let's say, the cacao at the cacao ceremony or the Mm -hmm. sound healing at the sound bath. It's also about being with, as you said earlier, like-minded people who actually care, right, Mm -hmm. about other human beings, where you can actually show up and you can cry if you want to, which, as you've seen, happens often in our events. You Mm -hmm. can actually, like, start crying and someone will walk over, hey, what's going on with you? Oh, you know, my, my aunt died last week or I just ended this relationship. And at those events, someone will actually take an interest, even for a minute, right? Yeah. If not, night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's incredibly essential for people to have a sense of community to be healthy. It's like a, a main tenant, Absolutely. you know, in people's in lives. Yeah. And also, I think it, it, ultimately it's because we want to belong, Right, we want to feel like we belong to something. Oh yeah, we're social creatures. That's proven. Yeah, exactly. And so it's super important for everyone to find whatever that is for them, you know, in their own community, or maybe even create something like you did, you know, at your house when you were doing those gatherings, and yeah, have that space. I mean, one of the things we know for sure is when prisoners of any kind are kept in isolation, we know what happens. They go crazy, right? You get some form of mental stress, dis-ease, mental illness even, psychotic behavior, whatever it is. And I was looking at that and I thought the same thing happens in a lot of ways even worse for people that feel completely alone in the society, right? Mm-hmm. That form of isolation, although you're interacting like at the checkout counter or whatever, if you're completely isolated amongst a lot of people, the same kind of mental dis-ease can start mm-hmm. to set in. And we're seeing it every place. You know, it's just watching, we've heard this before, but just recently I was reading again, like 
the, the number two cause of death amongst young men is suicide. You know, certainly oh. in like China and Japan. So, yeah. And it's growing, right? And uh, if you, that, that's remarkable when you think about it. You know, mm-hmm. that you're in this advanced, quote-unquote, civilization, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where life is basically pretty good. Most of our needs are being met. And there's actually plenty of time for socializing and hanging out with people and connecting, yet people are killing themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it, for me, it's one of the symptoms and signs of this absolute breakdown of, well, and the, the truth behind the lie of the American dream, Western culture and capitalism, you know? Right. Like me, what, what it would promise people a better life clearly cannot be true since most people are suffering from anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. on opioids. Op- Did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or killing themselves because they just, you know, can't find enough, you know, joy chemically or otherwise to engage in life and feel mm-hmm. fulfilled. Yeah. So it's, it's literally a symptom of the breakdown of our culture, right? And that it has right. a lot of ways failed people. Yeah. Completely. And that one of the contributing factors to that I really do think is, well, the isolation, obviously. I mean, just the facts that we use it as a form of punishment. <laughs> I mean, like, obviously, exactly. it does something exactly. bad to us. And right. the complete lack of these communities and rituals and ceremonies within cultures is, it's what you were saying earlier, you know, how it starts as anxiety and then depression and then it just cycles and it keeps getting worse. Yeah. And unless you break that cycle and you have this, ceremony that you can go to or this gathering even if that's church you know whatever that is for you to like have that ritual you know can something doing something consistent Mm -hmm. that helps you feel part of something and that you belong and that you're part of a tribe and and it's can be challenging in busy modern day life like I know for myself even you know sometimes I work 60 hours a week and I'm just like nonstop, and I'll get to the end of the week and I I'm so exhausted. I just want to like stay home, you know? And it's like, but I've become more aware now that like, fortunately I have commitments. I was just thinking about this last night actually, because I facilitate breathwork and sound healing on two Friday nights a month. And so it's like the perfect way to end my week is to be in that space. And it totally is recharging, you know, even just in an hour and even though I'm facilitating, but still for me, it's, it's essential for me to have those things built into my schedule and making it a priority yeah. and a necessity. Absolutely. Yeah, because you, you mentioned like the, I call it kind of getting a tune-up. Anything you're doing like that on a regular basis becomes the consistent way that you balance out, manage, you know, release your stress load, you know, uh, a place where at, at least for sure during that period, you're going to be connecting with people in an authentic way. At least, you know, mm-hmm. there's a fertile ground for it. Um, yeah. All those things that are essential to being healthy, particularly in modern life when there's not only so much, I think hours spent in being productive, but also so much information coming at us, you know, all the time that's needed mm-hmm. to be managed, you know, yeah. that, the time we take for ourselves, you know, to connect with things that actually value, it's, it's fundamental. I don't think it's a luxury. I mean, it might be a luxury that you have access to it, yeah. but it's not a luxury in that it's actually showing up to be a fundamental need for, for health. Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, one thing that I was thinking about when you were talking to, there's a really, I feel like I need to do a separate podcast on talking about grief, you know, and the, and the yeah. necessity of really 
creating space for that in our culture and um, which happens a lot in like the ceremonies that you facilitate with plant medicines. It, it's the first time that yeah. people really give themselves the opportunity to feel all of that grief that they've been storing. And that's, it's ancestral for a lot of us, you know, because if you think about yeah. the world and how people are often refugees and having to run for their lives yeah. and displaced, they don't have, literally, they don't have the time to grieve. And yeah. so sure. they, they have to just stay alive. And so that's been happening, you know, forever. And so a lot of the yeah. times that's, that grief is stored within our lineage. And so I know for myself, when I would do ceremonies with plant medicine and get into these other dimensions and different spaces where you can tap into other energies, I would be expressing this profound, deep grief. And I didn't know where it was coming from. I didn't feel like it was necessarily mine. Right. And I do believe, you know, from just my personal view that it was my lineage, you know, especially in, for, mm -hmm. I can remember one time, particularly like the women in my family. And um, I feel like that's an important piece that people should be made aware of and that it, it, how important it is to really allow yourself to cry and to grieve. It's so, so crucial. Much. And I, you know, I've shared this with you are aware of it and I share with people that are listening. Um, most people aren't aware that they're carrying around grief and or trauma, mm -hmm. right? And just for everyone that doesn't know, there's scientific proven research now that we all carry in our DNA the trauma of our ancestors. It's all encoded in there, right? So in addition to the compounded experiences you've had in your own lifetime, things that might have been traumatizing or things that uh, probably should have been grieved that weren't, you're carrying all this other stuff. The plant medicines typically, and maybe just any kind of um, authentic ceremonial experience, mm -hmm. all of that suddenly gets unleashed, right? And a lot of people that come to uh, plant medicine ceremonies think they're coming for some other reason. What mm -hmm. ends up happening is they suddenly start releasing, let's say, grief, and they'll tell me later, like, I had no idea that I needed to grieve. Like everything got handled just in that moment, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's because of what you're bringing up. Like we're, most of us don't realize we're in survival mode all the time, you know? You're just getting up every day and doing what's necessary to keep your life happening, right? Mm -hmm. Maintain particularly in our, our culture. And it doesn't really even strike you as necessary to take time out for self-care or grief or, you know, mm -hmm. doing the, the kind of, interpersonal work, the self-inquiry, to kind of look in there and realize like, oh, actually, I'm still dealing with that trauma from when I was eight. <laughs> you know, right. like, there really isn't even time to get subtle enough and quiet enough to realize that there's something going on that is actually dictating. This is the interesting thing. A lot of people think, well, that's kind of woo-woo or unnecessary because I'm functioning fine. What they don't realize is that those unexpressed or un clear griefs, griefs and traumas are actually dictating your every action every day. You just don't see it. Right? right. Yeah, they're actually dictating how you're interacting with men or women, depending on your relationship. Mm -hmm. They might be dictating how you're interacting with work, right, mm -hmm. or politics, or people other than the way you look, like whatever it is, um, or even your motivations, right? A lot of people discover like, oh, the whole reason I've been driven to do such and such is because I'm actually avoiding this, right? Right. I tend to think a lot of people don't 
realize that they're not even actually leading authentic lives, meaning the actions that they're making every day and the, the goals that they're pursuing, the beautiful thing about these subtle vibrational healing modalities and the ceremonies that they're connected to is that people actually get still enough and quiet enough to look inside and realize like, actually, this isn't even what I want to be doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, once I kind of get in touch, I might get uh, closer to the original authentic thing that kind of motivated me out of high school, or whatever, to kind of like mm -hmm. get on with my life and have a meaningful life that is fulfilling based on things that actually are important to me. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, I can't even tell you how many over the years, the main thing they get out of plant medicine work, in my case, ayahuasca work, because it's what I'm most interested in, is this kind of getting their life back. They will tell me, oh, I feel reborn. And suddenly I realize that I'm on the wrong path and there is a way to kind of put a halt to what I'm doing and kind of start veering back to what would actually make me happy, which almost always includes wanting to give back to the world and support people in some way. Right. Lost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And beyond the effects of the trauma and grief having an impact in like the decisions you make and things like that, it can also affect you on a physical level, right? Like, absolutely. I remember uh, Martin Prechtel is an amazing teacher and he talks a lot about grief. And I remember one thing that has always stuck with me is that he calls tumors solidified sorrow. And oh, interesting. So, yeah. yeah. So that holding on to that grief, you know, especially the ancestral that I was talking mm -hmm. about before, it's like yeah. you store all of that in your body and then it can become cancerous, you know, if we're not yeah. releasing and allowing that energy to flow. And it's, it, that like hit me like, whoa, like that's, that's a profound way of putting it. It really is. And, you know, and that goes to the core of like an indigenous approach. Well, I'll be specific, like the shamanic approach and let's say the Shipibo ayahuasca tradition and, you know, shaman, the word shaman is, you know, as a word that's imposed on them, it's actually a Siberian uh, term, kudendedos, the healers. Their spiritual, I'm sorry, healing practice is based on the idea that even though you have this physical ailment, its roots are energetic. That's mm -hmm. what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them are like, well, we're not going to deal with the physical thing, like in the ceremony. There's definitely like uh, pharmaceutical plant-based herbs you can take for that. What we want to get at is at the foundation, the core, like what actually is causing the thing. And inevitably it comes down to something like unexpressed grief, trauma, you know, mm -hmm. um, some stress, some uh, what they call panema, bad energy that you've been carrying in the body for a long period of time that now has turned into the ulcer or turned into mm -hmm. like, the cancer, right? So they're wanting to, the healing is um, holistic in that sense. It's like, right. yeah, we're definitely going to give you some plants from the jungle that will help dissolve the tumor. What we want to get at is the, the cause of the tumor, like mm -hmm. fundamentally energetically the cause of the, the tumor. Mm -hmm. We're not just going to go cut it out. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's why I think a lot of the times people that do 100% the Western approach and they don't do the, you know, focusing on what caused it in the first place. Yeah, in conjunction, yeah. Yeah, they'll right. end up, you know, having the surgery, going through the chemo, the radiation, whatever, the cancer's gone, but then it comes back. Exactly. You know, yeah. so that's the you importance know, of doing it in conjunction. 
You remind me of this story. I read this many years ago, and I don't remember any more of the details in terms of where it was published, but it's an authentic study. And basically, I'm very, very, I'm just giving you the essence of what happened. Um, so it was a double-blind kind of study, you know, and basically this guy had a cancer and, uh, or something like that, and he was given a placebo, right? And they basically told him that it was miraculous and that it would heal. Right? Mm -hmm. And so he goes to this thing and it gets healed, right? Mm -hmm. It gets completely taken care of. He finds out later, it's like, oh, guess what? That was actually the placebo. You healed yourself. And the cancer came back. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It was interesting. And then apparently, same thing happened again. Yeah. So this happened twice. And he was a really interesting case because they showed, like, his belief that it was healed and gone healed it and it was gone and then when mm -hmm. he found out oh guess what that actually wasn't a thing then it came back right right you know there's been tons and tons of double blind studies with placebos that it basically showed the same thing that right. our interaction like um our we're basically showing the necessity of our partnership with the healing process right of wanting to be healed wanting to take responsibility for it, believing in the thing whether it's western medicine or not you know um yeah, and engaging in that process. Because when his illness came back, what that showed me was like, oh, his complete faith is in this thing, not in his own ability to be healed, right? Mm -hmm. The second he found out that it actually wasn't what he thought it was, it all came rushing back. Right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that yeah, is, is the power of the fascinating. thought. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So bringing this full circle, you know, um, most ceremonial work that I have encountered because most of them are plant medicine based, but not all of them. Um, all of them include some level of vibrational healing, which is what you're interested in. Mm -hmm. Whether it's through sound, you know, um, drumming, which we know beats per minute have an effect on you know, our system, take us mm -hmm. into different states. A lot of those states are where healing can take place. Um, yeah, they go hand in hand. You know, there's very few ceremony practices that I'm aware of that are effective that don't also include some form of what in the spectrum of vibrational healing. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, completely. And, and just, you know, also to highlight again to the importance for everyone to find that their form of ceremony and that even if it's with one other person, you know, just starting something where you can come together and just be real with each other or, you know, play some sound healing on YouTube, you know, like it doesn't have to be anything yeah. amazing. Just creating you know, like a yeah, what, what changed the whole direction of my life and led into everything I'm doing now, uh, bringing this really full circle, was what you brought up early on. Um, I started off not knowing I was, you know, moving my life into a particular direction. You know, I was in Santa Barbara at a lecture. Uh, I think his name was Daniel Sheehan. And he was talking about the importance of just getting together with people once a week in your living room and just talking. Because... Mm -hmm. He said, even that in current society is a radical act, you know, that you're willing to actually talk about issues. And I, amongst other things, and just connecting with people, building community. And I thought, well, I'm going to take that on. So I chose a Wednesday night in Long Beach. And the, the group ended up being called Bundle of Twigs, right? This idea <laughs> that um, one twig can be snapped, but a bundle is strong, right? Oh, nice. Yeah. So um, we got together every Wednesday, and it was... Um, life-changing for a lot of people in the sense that what we talked about, the bonds that were built, right, the community that was forged, and some of the ideas that got expressed, for a lot of people really opened them up to 
a whole different path that they wouldn't have been on otherwise. And for me, it was my first kind of sense that I had an ability and a leaning towards wanting to um, create and probably be leader of a community, right? It just started to emerge, right? It wouldn't have happened otherwise. Some of the ideas we've been exposed to, um, the importance of community, a lot of people only had that once a week meeting to actually connect with other people and talk about things that matter. And I started to see how valuable it was, right? Mm -hmm. For them, that was like their touchstone. That was the place where oh, they couldn't wait till Wednesday night, you know, where they could actually go be human with other humans. <laughs> <laughs> I know that so feeling. I, yeah, I bring that up to basically highlight what you were just saying. It doesn't matter what your modality is, right? It could just be that once a week you have a dinner party, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the whole ritual of having people over and helping to prepare the meal and talking about things that matter and then sitting down and eating together, that can be just as powerful as a ceremony for a lot of people. Well, so at least do that. You know? Right. Yeah, completely. That's, that's a good recommendation for sure. Yeah. This is making and me want to start really doing it again, like doing a weekly thing. <laughs> like maybe we should start doing those <laughs> more. Yeah, than really, you know, and then all these other modalities in subtle contemporary ways would enter the picture. Like, mm -hmm. you know, maybe you're focused on like prior to dinner or afterwards, everybody sits for 15 minutes and you listen to, sound meditation music, you know, yeah. sound healing, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe at each of the dinners, let's talk about one thing tonight. Let's pick a topic and I'll discuss it. Mm -hmm. you know, it really is a very contemporary way of getting the same benefits of indigenous traditional ceremony, right? Yeah. That, that's, that's very grounded in your day-to-day -day life. That, doesn't, that can meet everybody where they're at and doesn't have to have any name to it or ascribe to a particular modality, but you're getting the same benefits. Yeah. Completely, for sure. Awesome. Well, to wrap up, I um, I always like to ask my guests three things yeah. that they want to share that you use in your own personal life to support you when you're like feeling like you're you need to lift a pick me up, you know, or like rituals that you do on your a daily basis to support you in staying in a high vibration and staying healthy. Well, I'm a, I'm a unique case because we have my own life, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, all the events related to it. So maintaining that and all of the relationships around it are doing a lot of that already. But I would tell you my, my personal practice is uh, the stillness with gratitude, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I've often <laughs> I've been quoted many times for saying that if you look closely, the answer to most of our problems is actually just gratitude, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, and it's not something I do every day, but it's something I do on a regular basis, for sure, is to get out of bed in the morning, or particularly in the day when it's kind of getting stressful and you're kind of getting caught up in your, the inertia of your story, your stuff, it's actually to stop for a minute, even in the car, and just kind of bring my presence to gratitude. It's like, and I go over the list, I'm like, I'm grateful for my apartment, I'm grateful for the safety I have, I'm grateful for life. I'm grateful for David, you know, my roommate and assistant. And just goes on and on and on, right? Because mm -hmm. it actually kind of takes your mind out of the constant need to achieve the next thing or to be on this inertia of what you're getting or not getting, right? And just kind of come back to a center place of like, because right away you notice your breathing changes, right? All the things that don't matter kind of start to fade away and your attention is back on things like my cat. <laughs> um, yeah, that matter and the gratitude brings you into this state of gratitude 
An interesting thing about that is going back to the Institute of Heart Math, what they basically say in layman's terms is that when we're in feelings of gratitude and joy um, and forgiveness, those feelings get encoded into the electromagnetic field, right? That's mm -hmm. emanating from our heart. And they believe that those feelings then um, interact with other electromagnetic fields. And probably the hypothesis is that it's interacting with the planetary field. So moving, taking that moment to bring yourself back into a state of gratitude affects your entire vibrational body, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's going to affect the very next person you run into. Right? Totally. So I would say that more than anything else, that's kind of the practice that keeps me centered and grounded when I'm not at one of our amazing <laughs> projects or events. Right. I love that. That's one of my favorites as well. I feel like that's probably been the single most thing that's changed my life the most is having consistent coming back to gratitude, you know, yeah. as much as often, it really does shift yeah, As everything. simple as it sounds, it's one of the most profound things you can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you really do realize that no matter how bad it is in the moment, the story, mm -hmm. whatever you're in, you start to realize how much better you have it than most people on the planet, right? Yeah. And in reality, it's like, wow, this is a big, like, challenging thing I'm going through right now, but ultimately, things are pretty good. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and I think the more you do it, too, it's like you're subconsciously programming your brain to always look for that in every situation. It's, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's huge, actually. Like, the, the neurobiology of gratitude. Like, honestly, it, we're at the end of our talk, but what I was saying is, like, it is true. There's this phrase that uh, a lot of us have heard, we don't see the world as it is, we see it as we are. Right? Mm. And it's true. They're talking about exactly that that we're all filtering the information coming in and eight people in a room might see the exact same thing. One person sees it as a beautiful, blissful thing ever. The other person, like, it sends them into depression and anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. So, and it's because of how we're all hardwired, our neural network. So there's a science too. If you every day can bring yourself back to gratitude, as you just said, you're literally training yourself, right, to be in a state of receptivity and gratitude for life. And the mm -hmm. challenges are being met in that filter. It's like, oh, here's this challenge. It's not the end of the world, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not a reason to freak out and despair. It just needs to be handled because in reality, life is good and I'm grateful. <laughs> right, exactly. Awesome. Thank well, you so much. It's a beautiful opportunity to drop in with you. Yeah, for sure. Good. That's what I love about podcasts is just like having time to chat, <laughs> you know? I love that you're approaching it that way because it, right, to close, what you just brought up is why I like podcasts as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually rare in our contemporary culture that you can just sit and just like drop in for a full hour with somebody about mm -hmm. a topic that in reality, a lot of other people are probably interested in too. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, I hope everyone listening was interested in this particular talk. <laughs> yeah, two or three people care. I'm happy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hundreds. Yes. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a part of this. And I have a feeling we will probably do another one down the line. Yeah, uh, count me in. We'll talk about grief next time around. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Right, I hope everyone enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you want to get in touch with Tony, you can find him on all the social medias, but also his website is www.tonymoss.me. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening. Have a beautiful day. And don't forget to share this out if you found value in this conversation. Bye for now.